It's me. It's me. It's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws. And you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. journey podcast when you're done listening to us here remember when you go out in public act responsibly wear your mask do what we got to do so we can all get back to normal as soon as possible after you listen to us on the podcast don't forget go to our website stadiumjourney.com you can follow us on social media we're on facebook twitter youtube and instagram at stadium journey and the stadium journey podcast is proud to be part of the voc nation radio network to find our podcast just search voc nation on itunes or android or you can find our library of video podcasts on our youtube channel we simulcast our podcast live at twitch.tv slash danlaw83 hopefully some of you are there now listening and you can find every podcast we've ever recorded at the stadium journey website just look under the podcast tab on the menu Hey, and we have something new. You can support our work through our Patreon page. We have a new menu of rewards for our supporters, including the possibility of joining us on a future podcast. But for tonight, joining me, as always, is Dave Cotney. You can follow him online at ProFan9. Mark Viquez is on social media at Hunter. You can follow our producer, Dan Calachico, the above-average comedian, at DanLaw83. And I am Paul Baker. You can follow me at PuckmanRI. And tonight, we are happy to be joined by Dustin Reese. He's a writer from, geez, about a half dozen different websites, including CubsHQ.com, BearsHQ.com, BullsHQ.com. And we tonight, we will virtually travel to the great city of Chicago. Dustin, welcome aboard. So you can find me online, like Paul was saying, at CubsHQ.com, BearsHQ.com, BullsHQ.com. We also now combined all the sports into one website called chicagosportshq.com where pretty much it's soccer, hockey, football, basketball, baseball from the Chicago area combined into that website. I also work for a local newspaper in the Wisconsin area that covers high school sports. So I'm pretty much involved with any kind of sport that you can think of every single day of the year. And that's pretty much it. Um, I've been a huge sports fan my entire life. So Third, going on 32 years now of a sports fan, and I've been involved with 
media, writing, announcing, coaching, pretty much every sports background that you can think of. All right, fantastic. So uh, we've got kind of an expert here on Chicago. So uh, when you think Chicago sports venues, I think what the venue that comes to everyone's mind, I mean, almost immediately would probably be Wrigley Field. The so UIC like, Pavilion, you're wrong. UIC Pavilion? I don't <laughs> think so. Maybe, maybe one or two people over there in the corner. But so let's start by talking about the two ballparks, major league ballparks in Chicago, Wrigley Field and Guaranteed Rate Field. Let's compare and comp contrast them. And here is the big question. Wrigley Field, is it overrated? Guaranteed Rate Field, is it underrated? What do you think, Dustin? Uh, I think Wrigley Field is actually underrated, to be honest with you, especially since they did the massive remodel on it the last five years. Uh, to me, when I think baseball, I think 100% Wrigley Field because growing up in high school baseball to me that's how high school baseball should be played it's a baseball stadium that's built in a neighborhood not in a city so everyone is pretty much in party mode the entire day bars restaurants have parties all day all the merchandise tents are across the street pretty much just lined up on street corners public transportation brings you there Sitting in the stadium, you have the ivy on the outfield wall, which is the only stadium in baseball where you actually have that ivy as opposed to an outfield wall with sponsorships running across the wall. You have the giant scoreboard in center field, which is still the only human-operated scoreboard without the electronic on it. Best part about Wrigley Field is when you sit up in the second level, you can see Lake Michigan, you can see the Chicago skyline, you can see the people on the rooftops across the street. Pretty much anything that you think of when you think about downtown Chicago and just the Chicago neighborhood is just at Wrigley Field. You'll find everything. As far as guaranteed rate field goes, I do think that stadium is underrated as well. I They've agree done a lot with you. Of They've done a lot of remodeling on that stadium as well to bring – it to be more of an appealing site for people to enjoy a baseball game, especially considering how it's on the south side of Chicago, which always has a bad reputation anyways. Yeah, I have yet to go to a game at Guaranteed Rate Field. I was actually scheduled to go to the Cubs-White Sox game there this year. Obviously, I'm kind of out of luck on that this year, so I'm going to have to reschedule that for next year. But in terms of baseball stadiums, I do think both parks in Chicago are underrated for their own reasons, for their own value. It's just more of being a fan of the game, I guess. If you're a White Sox fan, obviously you're going to say a guaranteed rate feels better. If you're a Cubs fan, you're obviously going to say Wrigley Field is better. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I'm a Sox fan, but I get it. Wrigley Field is sort of the mecca of baseball stadiums, uh, you know, with some other ones out there. But yeah, that's kind of the quintessential old-fashioned ballpark uh, that if somebody from, you know, 70 years ago was transported at a time, they would feel right at home. Uh, I would add this about guaranteed rate field. It just missed the mark on those retro ballparks. If it was built a couple years later, it looked something like Camden Yards, maybe. Uh, but I, I do want to say great tailgating before a Sox game, cheap ticket prices, and you also get a wonderful view of the skyline as well, plus an amazing amount of beer and food. So uh, those of you who are listening that have a negative connotation about uh, Sox Park, be quiet. Go to a game next year and prove me wrong. All right, Dave. <laughs> so, so is this is this where I get to jump in? Yes. So if you go to a, if you go to a, one of my favorite sites, uh, it's called A View from My Seat, and you go onto the Wrigley Field page. 
you will find a ridiculously large number of pictures with posts in the way. Now I agree with all of the, you know, the Ivy is neat and the scoreboard and, and you know, whatnot. But for me, there are just way too many obstructed views to put uh, Wrigley where many people put it. So I, I'm, I know I'm in the minority where I don't think it is, I don't think it's underrated. I, I definitely view Wrigley as overrated. Interesting. I've only been to Wrigley once, so I, I hardly qualify as an expert, but I found my entire visit there kind of underwhelming. Now I was up in the second level, so I wasn't behind a pole. I had a pretty good seat. Um, the experience just wasn't what I was expecting. I guess what, what it had been described to me as I was expecting maybe, maybe a little more of a party atmosphere. I, I mean, I went there on a random Tuesday night, so it wasn't like I was at a primetime game. Um, the Concord, I, it just, it was old. And it really reminded me as someone who's been going to Fenway Park since I was, since the 1970s, it reminded me of Fenway before they really started doing all the upgrades back about 20 years ago. Um, and it feels like a lot of the upgrades they're doing now that Theo Epstein's in charge are kind of Fenway light. A lot, a lot of the stuff they're doing there seems like what they did in Boston not too long ago. Now, don't get me wrong. Wrigley is still, to me, a special place in baseball. There's, you know, aside from Boston, there's nowhere else like it in the major leagues. And I think in a lot of ways it surpasses Boston. I think, like uh, Dustin was saying, the neighborhood um, it's it's more of a neighborhood than Boston is a collection of bars and restaurants and it's really gone upscale recently. Um, guaranteed rate field, man, I really didn't like guaranteed rate field. Sorry, Mark, we've talked about this before. <laughs> I went. How before, long has it been? Uh, I think I went before they lopped the top off of it too, so I think it was yeah, a lot bigger yeah. and a yeah, lot. I would say when yeah, I went, it's changed a lot. Yeah, I definitely agree. And with that. yeah, and when I went, the biggest thing is that we had upper deck seats. So we couldn't go anywhere else in the ballpark. So we couldn't explore yes. the ballpark and check out all the cool stuff that's out there in the outfield. So yeah, there's you know, there's ways to get there's ways to get beyond that. You just uh, you you go over to the kids zone and you can walk downstairs, uh, and then sometimes you can say, "Hey, I want to shop at this Pacific store," and then you just don't come back. Uh, I hear from you know when I go there, it's sort of like fifty fifty. Sometimes they let you walk in. Uh, to the lower level, and then other times they tell you you can't. Uh, that is probably one, uh, you know, big dark spot on the White Sox ballpark. That that nonsense, it needs to stop. I guess they think the fans are going to buy the $7 seats and sneak in <laughs> downstairs. But you're right, at, at White Sox Park, you get a lot of, you get the statues, you get the old shower curtain. They have a little bit of Ivy, too, uh, at, on their backstop. The Craft Cave Bar, the Goose Island area. I mean, there's a lot of great, uh, great places uh, to eat and visit uh, that fans are denied sitting upstairs. Uh, but yeah, Wrigley Field, I mean, here's the thing. People go to Wrigley Field because it's Wrigley Field. If you are a tourist in a town, that's a tourist attraction, sort of like the Sears Tower or whatever it's called these days. Uh, and you're right, the neighborhood around it is, is unmatched. It's, uh, it's a neighborhood that never went to pot and it slowly built its way back. And if you're young in your 20s, you just graduated college somewhere in the Midwest and you moved to Chicago, that's where you want to live, Wrigleyville. And then you want to brag about it to everybody. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, there's, I'm not a Cubs fan, but, you know, I do like going to Wrigley Field. It is, uh, it is quite the ballpark experience. But it can be a little bit pricey, and I wouldn't suggest driving a car to the game. Just take mass transit. You'll be fine. So, uh, Dustin, you can answer this for us, being that you're, you're the man in Chicago. For a hundred and – well, maybe not a hundred and some odd years, but for, for decades – uh, the Cubs have been the lovable losers until they weren't anymore, until they, they actually won the World Series. And, and I think there was always a school of thought that some of the luster of, of Wrigley and going to see the Cubs and being a Cubs fan would disappear a little bit once they won and they didn't have that lovable, lovable loser sort of mantra. So do you, th- do you see that um, that has happened at all or – how, do you think their popularity has sort of stayed true, or do you think they're more popular than ever? I think the popularity is still the same as it always has been, but I don't think the lovable loser title is going to be used ever again. I think more they now have that expectation that they're going to win. They have that expectation that they're going to be competing for a playoff spot every single season now, as opposed to the past that was more – hey, if we win 85 games, look good for us. We'd had a good year. But now it's like last year, they were 84 and 78 last year. That was viewed as a massive disappointment considering what they did the previous four years. 10, 15, 20 years ago, 84 and 78, fans would have been jumping out of their seats saying, hey, look at the season we had. Have you noticed a difference in the fan base since uh, the Cubs have experienced some success? A big difference, and it's actually a negative difference if you ask me. Um, When the Cubs were lovable losers, when basically I started watching them probably in the mid-90s, right before the whole Sammy Sosa-Mark McGuire race went into effect, and Cubs fans were always nice, and they were always so inviting to visitor fans that came to the ballpark. Now that they've had some success, now that they know what it feels like to be a consistent winner like the Cardinals, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and all these teams that have had success over the past decade, Cubs fans have gotten like really, really rude toward opposing fans. They kind of treat them like they don't matter as much anymore. They kind of treat them like, hey, this is all our ballpark. Why are you here? Much like when the Cubs invade Miller Park for when the Brewers play the Cubs at Miller Park. They treat Miller Park as if it's Wrigley Field North because it was Wrigley Field North for, what, 15 years until the Brewers had success? But now it's whenever anybody comes into Wrigley Field, now it's like, this is all, this is our ballpark. You should not be here kind of type of attitude like that. Yeah, and that's, that's Cincinnati. When they go down there, it's Wrigley Field South. So I, I guess they're taking, uh, conquesting their Midwest foes. So, Dustin, you mentioned the, uh, the rivalry at the Cardinals. That's something that I think a lot of people on the coast – don't appreciate is the depth of that rivalry between the Cubs and Cardinals. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, it's really, it's really odd when it comes to the St. Louis and the Cubs because they're basically five hours apart and the midway point is pretty much Springfield, Illinois, where if you're north and east of that Springfield line, chances are you're a Cubs fan. And if you're south or west of the Springfield line, chances are you're a Cardinals Mm -hmm. fan. And what I've noticed with the rivalry for as long as I've watched it, no matter how good the Cubs are and how bad the Cardinals are, or no matter how bad the Cardinals are and how good the Cubs are, the teams are going to play to a 10-9 season split pretty much every year. The talent level is pretty much equal. 
the ownership is pretty much equal. It's always come down to managers, in my opinion. You had Tony LaRusso with the Cardinals forever, while the Cubs were recycling managers what seemed like every four years. Then the Cubs got Joe Madden. Matheny was pushed out the door in St. Louis, and then now they have Mike Schilt there. Mike Schilt started having success, and now the Cubs got David Ross. So they kind of have two younger managers kind of to restore that rivalry. So let's see how this continues now the next five, six, seven years to see if it's still the same way where the teams are going to be balanced in terms of how they do or if one of those teams is going to start to take the upper hand again. So do you uh, see this as a, a bit of a different Cardinals team now? Like the Cardinals having some difficulties with their with their uh, COVID tests and ha- actually having some, some series canceled. I mean, to me, that seems like one of the most uncardinals thing ever. Um, just this, just how almost like irresponsible uh, their actions are. And, and is the change in the Cardinals changing the rivalry at all? You think? I don't think it's changing the rivalry. I have my thoughts on the Cardinals situation. I personally think they should have either had to forfeit the games that they gave up because they refused to follow protocol <laughs> or they should have just had to been, their season should have been just canceled in general because now like in a situation with the Cubs right now, they have five games over the next three days because they have to play two double headers with the Cardinals because the Cardinals were stupid. Cardinals have 11 double headers after they play. And I think the Oof. next 25 games Oof. just because they missed basically two weeks of baseball action. Oof. But in terms of what you were saying about kind of the rivalry, I think the Cardinals are taking the route that the Cubs took five years ago. Cubs were recycling their high contract and older players and getting younger. Same thing's happening in St. Louis. They're starting to recycle their older, higher paid contracts and are getting younger at every position with the exception of Paul Goldschmidt and Yadier Molina. Mm-hmm. Everybody on their team right now is pretty much 26 years old or younger that really contributes on that roster. Yeah, and, and Cardinals fans can be just as obnoxious as uh, Cubs fans out here in Indianapolis, where uh, along with Cincinnati, you have those three fan bases here. So uh, just keeping on with uh, baseball, have you visited any of the uh, minor league ballparks of Chicagoland? There's quite a bit up there, affiliated, old, new. Uh, there's quite um, a bit. Yeah. So being in Wisconsin, obviously, I have the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Uh, nice. Their minor league stadium is often viewed as one of the nicest playing surfaces to play on in the Midwest League. I probably attend 25 to 30 games every year just because it's five minutes from my house. But I've been to South Bend Cubs Stadium. I've been to Iowa Stadium and Midwest Stadiums like that. I like the way the Midwest Stadiums are. They all kind of give me that same feeling that Wrigley Field has. They're all more neighborhood-type stadiums. And that's kind of, like I said earlier, that's how I view baseball. To me, baseball is that little kid game where no matter how old you are, as soon as you play it, you get back to being a little kid at heart. I don't like yeah, all these yeah. futuristic stadiums. Yeah. And, and that's the thing like, uh, and some of these ballparks in Clinton and Burlington are by far your definition of small town ballparks. And some of them may, may disappear after this season. Well, they, they may be gone for, for good if uh, they don't come back next year. Have you been out to, to those ballparks in Iowa as well? I have not. I have not been okay. to any of the ones in Iowa yet, um, unfortunately. You but said like, Cubs, correct? Yeah, Iowa Cubs is the only one, but I haven't yeah. been to like Clinton and Cedar Rapids and any of those. But like what you were saying with a lot of these minor league stadiums possibly not being around with Major League Baseball now getting rid of 
what, 40% of minor league teams starting next year? 40 teams, correct. Yeah. 40, yeah. 42, something like that. 40 yeah, teams, it yeah. looks like as long as you have a single A affiliate, you will be safe. It looks mm-hmm. more like the rookie A teams and the short season A teams are going to be the ones that get the chopping block. So then every team will basically just have single A, high A, double A, and triple A. So the single A teams like Cedar Rapids and Clinton, like you were referring to, may be safe in terms of having a team. But the question is, are they going to be able to recover because of COVID? That's going to be the next question with all these minor league teams that literally depend on the minor league season to make it through the summer. Not having them won this year and killing that kind of revenue, are they going to be able to recover next year? Yeah, a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Absolutely. Something we've talked about a lot here on this show, for sure. but I wanted to, one more question. I wanted to jump back into the uh, the White Sox um, and Dustin and Mark. You guys may be, be able to answer this question. The south side of Chicago, the area around Guaranteed Rate Field, as bad as everybody makes it out to be, I felt perfectly safe the one time I went there for a game. I was there during the day, so when I was there during the day, I felt fine. I have no idea how it is at night, so I would not be able to say how it is during a nighttime game in that area. Well, being that I I have walked from um, the ballpark all the way out to the Buffalo uh, Rings and things, which is about a mile away, it's it's a it's a neighborhood. It's just a working class neighborhood. There's there's not a lot of bars. Uh, it's just small little bro, you know, small little homes. Uh, Dan Ryan separates the other part of the neighborhood that towards the the lake that sort of gets a bad reputation. Some parts maybe consider you don't want to go there, uh, but there's a lot of new infrastructure going up uh, that's making it, uh, it's changing the neighborhood a little bit. However, if you go a little bit south, you may hit some some neighborhoods here that are not desirable to hang out. There's just nothing there. Uh, if you go a little bit north, you hit Chinatown, uh, the Bridgeport neighborhood is where I think Sox Park is located. So it's just a working class neighborhood. I think the key of going to a Sox game is to tailgate. And then afterwards, you can hop on the L and, and head to another part of town to celebrate or just go home, <laughs> go back home and celebrate a Sox win. So, yes, diff- neighborhood, maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you might say a little sketchy, but it's not as bad as people say it is. It's not the Bronx where the Yankees play. But even that, I think, is getting a little bit better from what people tell me. So. Who knows? Okay. And uh, while we're on the subject of uh, baseball parks, Chicago may have the strangest looking minor league ballpark anywhere. I'm oh, talking yeah. about the uh, the Windy City Thunderbolts, Standard Bank Stadium. Have any of you all been to that ballpark? I have not. I have. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, they started building it, got halfway through, and stopped. Yeah. Yeah, what, what I was told, I think Eric Hasman told me, who's a writer for the website, he goes there a lot is that the power lines were in right. the way. So they, they couldn't continue building it. But then again, it gives it its very quirky dimension. And it stands out among, you know, your your basic uh, Frontier League ballpark. So in some ways, uh, that's a neighborhood ballpark. Uh, cheap ticket prices, cheap food, pretty decent fan base out there. So yeah, definitely. Uh, when you when you park your car, you're surrounded by uh, these giant uh, power lines, electrical power lines that are just very menacing. And then when you go inside the stadium, you're like, where the heck's the rest of it? 
<laughs> so, uh, Duskin, since you're from Wisconsin, why don't we uh, call a little audible here? Let's uh, let's go 90 miles up the road and talk a little bit about Miller Park while we're doing baseball parks. I like Miller Park. I'm not going to say that I don't like Miller Park because it's a very nice stadium, but I just don't like the whole futuristic big video board retractable roof style ballpark. I just have I have never gotten into that for some reason. I know all my friends, all my family love going to Miller Park. Obviously, when the Cubs go to Miller Park, I try to get to all nine or ten games because they're about half the price of going to Wrigley Field. And for me, it's only a 90-minute drive as opposed to three hours. But Miller Park, I would still consider it a top ten ballpark. I just like it's an easy drive. You take the highway for basically an hour and a half. You get right off the highway. You take a left turn and you drive about three blocks and the stadium's there. It's one of the easiest stadiums to me to commute to. Uh, it's not in the city itself. It's outside of Milwaukee. So you don't got to worry about Milwaukee traffic. It's right by state fair park. I think it's like a mile or two miles from state fair park in Milwaukee. So it's in kind of a very busy and like touristy area but yet it's far enough away from the city where you don't have to worry about the city life. Cause I really do not like Milwaukee city life at all. <laughs> all right, cool. So um, let's, let's uh, move over. Cause uh, Chicago, in addition to having a legendary ball, uh, major league ballpark, baseball park has one of the uh, more well-known basketball slash hockey rinks in Chicago stadium. So uh, have you been able center. to be, huh? United Center. United Center, yeah. <laughs> Chicago Stadium was the old one. That's been yeah, gone for a while. That, that was a classic. That was a classic. <laughs> Did you ever get out to Chicago Stadium, Dustin? Not Chicago Stadium, no, but United Stadium or United Center, I have. I, right. So let's, very compare, let's, let's compare and contrast uh, a Bulls game experience with a Blackhawks game experience. And uh, which one would you prefer and, and why? Now I would prefer a Blackhawks game just because I think the Bulls have now taken on the Chicago title of the lovable losers, mm. which is kind of depressing, which is kind of depressing with a Michael Jordan statue sitting outside the stadium. But back in the heyday, I would have loved to go to a Bulls game when Michael Jordan was there. The last Bulls game I was at was when Derrick Rose won his MVP back in 2011. So it felt like the whole NBA finals was back in Chicago feel again, but since then, I have no idea what that ownership group has been doing. They've turned that franchise into a complete joke. And if you ask a lot of people that are Bulls fans, they're more casual Bulls fans. Now they're not even Bulls fans. They really don't even pay attention to them right now because they know watching them is just going to bring them pain and suffering. But yeah, the, the Blackhawks are a very great game. It's a great experience. The fans, no matter how good or how black, bad the Blackhawks are, always show up. It's a very loud event. It's a very loud hockey arena. Game day experience is amazing. Just seeing all the red jerseys just scattered across the seats. It's just an amazing feel. Yeah, I was in Chicago in, in 08 and uh, took in a Blackhawks game and a Bulls game. Uh, during the same week. And for me, they were like night and day. I mean, the, the Blackhawks the, blew the roof off the place. And for the Bulls, I was, I was shocked. I was, I was so surprised how, how dead the place was. Um, and, and I even asked some of the people around me and they, and they basically, they pointed to the, uh, the, the retired Jersey of Michael Jordan. And they said, that guy's not there anymore. Um, 
do you think some of that has to do with like really Chicago's only real time as a as a basketball city was was that time where um where Jordan was there because before Jordan it was it was pretty much the dead zone uh for basketball historically the way i look at it is i think bulls fans became entitled and i hate to say that because it took them a while to get to where they got and then once they got to that level they expected to stay at that level forever they win three titles michael jordan leaves for two years they still make the playoffs but they don't get back to the finals michael jordan comes back and they're right back in the finals i honestly think if michael jordan never would have left they probably could have won eight consecutive finals during that run but i think the bulls fans just got so entitled of being at that level like no matter what happened you could pretty much pencil the Bulls in as the Eastern Conference champions when Michael Jordan was playing, that as soon as he left and as soon as that team got blown up the way it did, they're like, whoa, what just happened to this team? What just happened to our franchise? Yeah, it sure felt that way being a Knicks fan growing up in New Jersey, that the Bulls were going to be in the finals. Uh, But speaking of Chicago venues, uh, we talked about Wrigley, we talked about uh, Sox Park and United Center. Uh, What what would be a sneaky good facility in Chicago that you would recommend somebody uh, that we may not know about college, minor league, amateur park right outside of Chicago in, I believe it's O'Hare area is all state arena. I'm not sure if it's called all state arena anymore. Yes, it but is. I've, been, I've been to a Chicago rush game when they were the arena football team there. That okay. was actually one of the more exciting arena football event venues I've been to. Maybe it was because the Rush were really good that year and the only arena teams by me haven't had that kind of fan support. But it was like a college environment. And I know a lot of people always say college games are more exciting than pro games just because you still have students as a large chunk of the fans that just get drunk before games and then show up and don't really care what's going on besides just partying and hanging out with their friends. But uh, All-State Arena, I thought, was a very nice venue. I think it's a very underrated venue just because it's not in Chicago and people would not think to go there because it's not in Chicago with the rest of the sports teams. Mm-hmm. Sure, I can back up that uh, that opinion, Dustin. I've been there for a Chicago Wolves game, for American League hockey game, and uh, it's it's very much an 80s-style arena. It, it doesn't have the uh, wide-open modern concourses. It's got a lot of twists and turns in it. But you have some excellent, excellent uh, seating areas and viewing angles. The Wolves, I know, are known for, uh, and this is strange for a minor league hockey team. They do a giant pyrotechnic display that includes the mascots and player introductions before the game. The only issue I had is I was sitting in the upper level, just be, just because we could spread out and I was taking some pictures from up there. But the clouds from the fireworks just hung over the game for the whole whole game, and it was a little distracting. But otherwise. A solid place to catch a game. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on on Allstate being a little bit underrated, and uh, and Dustin, I I I totally agree with you. One of the best arena football experiences I ever had was going to the Rush, and uh, watching what happened to that team, you know, as uh, over the years, and then the whole league going down was was just painful. As as uh, the Rush ended up with you know, one of the worst ownership groups ever. Um, but man, that place was loud. Uh, Paul, I know what you're saying about the pyrotechnics. I, I remember um, 
they they set off the the fire or something like that and and like it was hot my kids still remember that like my daughter was really young and she's like oh it was so hot i felt like i was gonna burn <laughs> but uh yeah i i agree uh underrated spot there too so uh, I guess let's see. We talked on bas- We touched on basketball, hockey, baseball. Let's uh, let's touch on the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Um, you have to say it. <laughs> so, Soldier Field, uh, um, one of those venues where when people talk about it, you get some very mixed messages. Some people absolutely love it, and some people think it's just really a strange setup. Dustin, what would what would your thoughts on Soldier Field be? Putting it lightly, I hate the stadium, and they ruined the old. Stadium yep. look. I really like the whole Roman Coliseum look they had on the outside with like the stone pillars and just kind of that stone artwork all the way across the stadium. And now it looks like you had a giant alien ship crash land in the middle of it where it's all glass. And then you still have that one little side of the stone structure facing Lake Michigan that's still there. Yeah, it almost seems like they wanted to get rid of the whole thing, but. Uh... But they were told they were not allowed to get rid of the whole thing, so they sort of wedge this uh, wedge this this silver thing inside. Yeah, sir. I got a, I got a lot of airplanes flying in uh, above me. So uh, we talked about your underrated. What is your least favorite venue in Chicago? My least favorite venue in Chicago is honestly Soldier Field. Okay, Soldier mainly Field. because of how much. I feel they destroyed it. Like, obviously you have Lambeau Field and Lambeau Field was remodeled, but it still has that Lambeau Field feel that it had back in the 20s and 30s. Soldier Field to me doesn't even have that feel anymore just because of what the stadium looks like now. It's just so weird looking now. And even when people that aren't familiar with that stadium when they're in Chicago just visiting, they even ask what that stadium is because they have no idea what it is just because it looks so weird until you get up close and realize what it is. Yeah, I remember looking at it before and after, and you're right. It is it is a little odd, and I know when they made that change, a lot of people made that comment, and apparently they're still making that comment. That's why I was even shocked that the soccer team, the Chicago Fire, decided to move there. They had planned to play there this year. I can't imagine that place packed for soccer by any means. But There was a reason why they did it. Um, ownership group – the new ownership group they have in Chicago wanted to basically – rebrand the whole team, redo like the team's message and get them out of Bridgeport where Mm -hmm. everyone was complaining about that stadium for the last three, four years. Is was the Bridgeport stadium that bad or was it just, just bad soccer, bad, bad location? The stadium itself is not bad. It's your typical soccer stadium of 15, 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. You're going to get roughly 12 to 14,000 people at a game. It's just the neighborhood itself was not a very good neighborhood. If there was no soccer game, it was not recommended you went into that area. And the worse the team did, the worse the area became because Mm -hmm. it's getting run down. Less and less fans are showing up. That's why they wanted to move the team back to Soldier Field this year, hoping to bring fans in the seats enough where they can build a new downtown stadium in downtown Mm -hmm. Chicago within the next three years or so. Where are they going to find the spot downtown to put another stadium? (laughs) Float it on the lake. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, a new stadium, but I think one of the original plans was letting them play at Northwestern University in the football field. 
because mm. it is a smaller venue than what Soldier Field is. So 20,000 people at Northwestern Stadium is going to look a lot better than 20,000 people in Soldier Field. But doesn't that defeat the purpose of, of bringing them downtown? Like Evanston is, I mean, it's a college town, but it's definitely not downtown. It, it does defeat the purpose of it. But just getting them out of Bridgeport, I think, was the main focus just because of the neighborhood itself. And I know the new ownership group came right out and said, we want to change this franchise. We want to rebrand this franchise and make this franchise a family-friendly destination again. That was their main message when they got them into Soldier Field, bringing them downtown. They're hoping that more fans, more families show up to bring them that first-class kind of look that a lot of the other major league soccer teams are starting to get now with all their new stadiums, with all like the new venues and everything they've been building for MLS. Yeah. Well, so I hope do they you do. Think, okay, do you think, um, do you think that they're going to be successful with this? Because I think it's fair to say that their rebranding thus far has, has been met with maybe not hostility, but definitely not positivity. Yeah, the re- the rebrand I think sucks. I hate the logo. They should have stuck with the original firefighter badge with the C, in my opinion. But I'm willing to give them a mulligan this year just because they're not going to be able to have any fans anyway. So you would never actually know how the <laughs> fan support would be. But I think it was through two or three years ago. I can't remember exactly when it was, but U.S. and Mexico played at Soldier Field for the U.S. Gold Cup, I believe. I can't remember what it was. And I was actually, yeah, I was down in Chicago for that game. And the fan turnout at that game was absolutely ridiculous for a soccer crowd. Yes, you had the 61,000 people in the stadium, but you probably had 150 to 200,000 soccer fans just chilling in Chicago that entire week and just waiting up to that game. If they can even get some like 30, 40% of that kind of following, it'll be a successful rebrand in Chicago. I'm not saying get like 200,000 people out there for a normal game, but even 20, 25,000 people just showing up for a soccer game and just being there all day, just leading up to the game. I think it's going to lead to a successful rebrand. Well, I I wish them the best. Uh, I think ideally they're going to have to build that, that soccer only stadium somewhere in town, but uh, that's what they're doing here in Indianapolis. Our soccer team is playing at the home of the Colts as they wait to build their own stadium. And uh, so they're MLS up in Chicago. So I'm sure they'll get that done pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, my question is what's uh, what's your favorite regional food of Chicago? I'm in town. I'm checking out some sports games. What besides a deep dish pizza, where do you recommend for me to get? Just or, may, or maybe what pizzeria should I go to? How about we flip that question? So for just going for a pizzeria chain, you got to go to Giordano's. Okay. Any Giordano's location, you're going to find the best deep dish pizza, in my opinion, that you've ever had. The one right by the Willis Tower would probably be my best bet for you to go. That's the original one downtown, and it's okay. the busiest one, obviously, because it is the original one. But that, to me, is just like the one that I always try to go to when I'm down there. There's yeah. one by Allstate Arena. And if you're just looking for- Fantastic. And then if you're just looking for like a regular food, find any street corner and just get a Chicago style hot dog. Doesn't matter which one. You just find the hot dog cart. You order the Vienna beef Chicago hot dog and you'll be happy. Yes. And is the Italian beef better than a Philly cheesesteak? 
Depends on who you ask. Um, my wife likes the Italian. My wife likes the Italian beef, but I like the Philly cheesesteak better just because I like the peppers and the mushrooms on it. Yeah. But she's not really a big mushroom fan or a big like green pepper fan, so she'll say the Italian beef. But they're close. But I would give the edge to the Philly cheesesteak on that one. You got a holy, you got a holy trinity of snack foods there between oh, the deep dish pizza, the I Chicago dog. And the Italian beef, man, you can't go wrong. In and then you got a lot, like, got great gyros up there, and there's Jim Shoe Sandwich of South Chicago. There's there's some great stuff there. I love. That's probably why I love Chicago so much. The food. He said all the right <laughs> things. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it, it, that could have went either way. Dad's from uh, the Philly area of South Jersey, so he's a big cheesesteak yeah, connoisseur. Go to Chicago during the food fair, and you'll leave the happiest person in the world for that week when they have the food. The fair. taste of Chicago. Yep. Yep, that's a good time too. Something we missed this year. So if we can uh, tread back to sports, and you brought up uh, the possibility of the fire playing up in Evanston with uh, Northwestern, um, how do you feel about Chicago as a college, as a college town? You got a, a bunch of of college basketball uh, spots, maybe not overly huge, um, and then of course you got. You got the big guy ish, which is is Northwestern in the north, and and I mean if you're a, just more of a state person, you got Illinois in the south. Um, how, how do you how do you rate the uh, college experiences in in the Chicago area? I would rate it between a five and a six. It's more of a casual college type town where. You have, like you said, all the colleges around, but they don't have that one standout college where everybody gets behind. You go out to North Carolina, you have Duke University in North Carolina, which are going to be your powerhouse basketball schools. The SEC generally has your powerhouse football programs, minus Clemson and the ACC. But in like Illinois, Chicago area, you have Northwestern, who is decent for football, but they're not a national championship contender. They're starting to get better at basketball, but they're still not at that level to be like a top 25 team every single year. When Loyola made the final four for the NCAA tournament, Chicago was definitely a college town during that NCAA run, just because it was the Cinderella team that just kept knocking everybody off and everyone wanted to see how far they were going to go. So if they can get a team that's consistently like that, Chicago will definitely turn into be more of a college town, but, to me, it's always going to be known as a pro sports town just because that's where they've had the most success. Is there, um, is there any kind of affiliation that you see with people, you know, linking themselves to like Notre Dame, which isn't too far. And of course is a, a massive, a massive football school and, and a pretty, pretty decent basketball school at times. I see a lot of Notre Dame affiliation just because of the South Bend Cubs. South Bend Cubs obviously play in South Bend, which is where Notre Dame is. So, I mean, you're going to have like a lot of the fans from South Bend are going to make that trip over to Chicago wearing their Notre Dame gear. Northwestern, too, just because they have, I think, they tried to have the football game this year at Wrigley Field with Wisconsin before that got canceled. And then you still see a lot of Illinois University people up in the Chicago area, too. But like when it comes to like DePaul and Loyola, you don't really see too many people really sporting that too much in that area. It's mainly the three big schools kind of surrounding that, that you still see some affiliation with. 
All right, so Dustin, we'll uh, we'll honor your Wisconsin heritage here. Uh, we'll head up the highway again. Uh, give, give our listeners a little bit of uh, a view of Lambeau Field, if you will. Oh, I hope no Wisconsin people are listening to this because I like Lambeau Field, but I hate it at the same time, if that makes sense. Uh, my favorite football team is four and a half hours west of Green Bay. So I've spent 20 some years watching Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre crucify my team every single year. And my parents always hate me for saying this too, but I think Packer fans are some of the most arrogant football fans in the world. (laughs) (laughs) They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Just because they've had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers for 31 years. Yes. And and you've had all these other teams, you've had all these other teams, Go through what six, seven, eight quarterbacks over the last thirty years, and the Packers have had two. That's the Jets' two, the last five years. Two of the two of the top ten quarterbacks in NFL history, and what do you have to show for it? Just two Super Bowl titles, and yet they still think every single year they're the best team in football. They're the best thing since sliced bread, and they haven't done anything in terms of a Super Bowl title since twenty ten when Aaron Rodgers got his only one. But Farvin Rodgers, like. The trophy is named after a Packer. It's not Farver Rodgers. Yeah, and and, the, and outside like outside of that though, like all the Packer fans still come in every single year, acting like they're the best thing on earth. And I've that's the one thing I've always hated about Packer fans, which is why I think I became a Viking fan just because I didn't want to be associated <laughs> with the Packer fans, knowing that this was the kind of attitude they had every single year. Like I would have killed to have Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback for 31 years but I know that's not realistic in most franchises. So I, I don't know if you made this connection before, but you're saying that, that Cub fans are starting to turn into like Packer fans? A little bit, just not to the, <laughs> just not to the point that Packer fans are. I think Cubs fans still know that they're still not going to be viewed as the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers until they can consistently win and I'm not talking just make the playoffs I'm talking consistently get to a world series and win more than one world series every 108 years now if the Cubs go and win like two or three more in the next 20 years things might change but if they go another 45 50 years before they win another one it's not going to that 108 year championship isn't going to mean anything outside of the curse being broken that's the only thing it's going to mean it's not going to mean like hey we are now viewed as one of the best franchises in the world I think the Packers are going to be the same thing until they can figure out how to either get Aaron Rodgers his second ring or until they can go on another run like when they had Bart Starr. It's just going to be another thing like you got in two Super Bowls in the last 30 years. What good is that going to do when you're spending all this money on this on this quarterback and you're ruining his career by not helping him out? So so since we're we're doing the full Wisconsin gambit here apparently, um how, how do you feel about Pfizer form? Been there Never at all? Been there yet. Never been there yet, honestly. Um, oh, well, you're going to have to get there. It's, it's I pretty... want to get there. I want to get there. My son wants to get there because he's a big Giannis fan. But Ooh, being they lost that, today. Ugly. Yeah. Yeah, being that the stadium just opened last year, we knew ticket prices were going to be outrageous. So I'm like, we'll, we'll wait a year, wait a couple of years before we start looking at tickets, and then we'll either get to a preseason game just so we can get down there. I've been to Pfizer Forum like on the outside part of it because they have like a German Christmas village down there in December. 
which my wife likes to go down to get like a lot of Christmas gifts for the family down there. So like I've been to the area around Pfizer form. I've just never been inside the venue yet. So I, I would suggest that um, if, if the, if the dollar figure is, is part of the equation, then what you might want to do is you might want to, to take in a Marquette game. Yeah. Because, because Marquette is, it, to me, is one of the more underrated uh, basketball fan bases. Um, and they can, and they can really make that place rock. And, uh, and you get to, it's not quite the same because of course it was built for the bucks and it, it feels like it was built for the bucks, but it all in all, it's, it's a, it's a spiffy spot and it's unique. It's a, it's a very unique looking spot from the outside. It has a little bit of a, you know, that Northern kind of, you know, woodsy kind of feel, which is it does, uh, yeah. a little bit different than other spots. Did they knock down the Bradley Center in between the two other buildings? Yes. Or, they or are they all standing in a row still? No, the Bradley Center is gone. Okay. Yeah, that's I know like when an I was open there, space now. Yeah, when I was there, FedEx was Fed, – FedEx, no, Pfizer. It was going up. So there were three buildings, boom, 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 right in a row. All right, so, Dustin, I know uh, your time is limited. you got places you got to be. So I want to end with a couple of questions. Um, first of all, uh, someone's visiting Chicago for the first time, and they want to tie some sports in. What venue or venues would you recommend as a must-see in Chicago? Because there are tons of choices in the Chicago area. So obviously it would depend on the, the, part, the time of the year, like the season. So if they're there during the summer, you're going to say Wrigley Field, and you're going to say Guaranteed Rate Field just because during the summer it's baseball in Chicago and nothing else for the most part. Uh, during the winter, if you like being outside, Try to get to a Packer Bear game at Soldier Field, depending on when the teams are at Soldier Field. Otherwise, taking a Blackhawk game over a Bulls game right now, mainly just because of what we talked about earlier, just the Blackhawks have been blowing the roof off of the United Center while the Bulls are just there playing. It's not like anyone's even excited to be there. College games. I haven't been to any college games yet in Chicago. I would like to think, DePaul, even Loyola for basketball would be a good choice. But like I said, North, like I said, I view it more as a pro town. So I've been to more of the pro events than college events. But I would say just depending on the season, there's not really a sport that you can go wrong with in Chicago. It just depends on when you're there, what you're into. And as long as you're into a specific sport that's going on at the time you're there, I would recommend going to any one of the venues just because it's going to be a good time when you're there, regardless if you're there to root for the team or if you're just going there to be a fan at the venue. Very good. All right. And one final question for the whole panel, Fenway or Wrigley? Wrigley. I'm biased. So I'm going to say Wrigley, but Fenway is on my bucket list to get to. None of the above. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like the American voter. You know what? I'll take the tour of either. How's that? Oh, okay. Can I take can I take actually both on that answer? Sure. I mean yeah, there's no wrong answer. But if you had to choose one. I would choose Fenway. I would choose Fenway for a night game, Wrigley for a day game. Ooh, I like that answer. Just Um, because just because I think day games at Wrigley are like I said, the view is so appealing. You can see the lake, you can see the downtown. The best part about Wrigley, which no one understands, is that center field scoreboard with the flags on top of the scoreboard 
you literally have to watch the flags every half inning because top of the first inning, that wind can be blowing out at 30 miles an hour. 30 minutes later, it's coming in at 30 miles an hour, and what you thought was going to be a 20-20 game is now going to be a two-to-one pitcher's duel. Nice. That's a great answer. I'm, I'm biased, you know, obviously being from the Boston area. So, um, Dan, you want to weigh in on this? No. No? Okay. <laughs> I have been so, to uh, either. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> there, there is no wrong answer, as I said before. Fenway, because I hate the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a true national, national leaguer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Dustin, we want to thank you for coming aboard and, and sharing your Chicago knowledge and, and your Milwaukee knowledge experience. Do you want to take a minute and uh, let our listeners know where they can find you online, all the different places that you write for and all the stuff you do? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you can find me on CubsHQ.com, BullsHQ.com, or BearsHQ.com. But to make it easier for everyone, we've now combined everything into one site called ChicagoSportsHQ.com. Pretty much any sport that revolves around Chicago, I cover, I write about. Usually try to write five stories a day, one story for each of the professional teams. So if you have time and you're just kind of curious to see what I'm writing about, just pull up that site and we usually update it pretty much every two hours as soon as a story gets sent into the web administrator. Awesome. Fantastic stuff, Dustin. Thank you for joining us. And we're going to check out those websites and we uh, encourage our listeners to do the same. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. So uh, we want to thank Dustin Reese for joining us and Mark, this is uh, the time of this, the show where we talk about where we've been over the past couple of weeks. And I see that you have replaced your disco demolition background with the Florence Yalls background. Is that a hint as to where you've been? Yeah, he's got a new job. He's working in the uh, merchandise department. The toy store. I'm I'm selling merchandise like out the wazoo. In fact, I talked to their PR person and the Florence Yalls merchandise is already outdid what outdid what uh, the Florence Freedom did last year uh, before the season even started. So they're on second and third orders of hats and certain shirts. But I checked out the Florence uh, Florence Yall even though the team that was playing that day was the Florence Freedom. It's part of the Bourbon Trail series between uh, Florence and Lexington. Uh, the two teams decided to get together and form a four-team league made up of former minor league players, former major league players like Brandon Phillips, all-star for the Reds, and I think some local guys, guys not too much, uh, not too much uh, older than – I mean, not too much younger than me – are playing baseball. It's uh, it's a unique experience. Capacity is at about 30% at both parks. Florence, to me, was the much better experience. It's a nicer ballpark. It's smaller. It's got an open concourse. Everything is out in the open. You got this awesome name called the Florence Yalls with the colors of powder blue and red. They have really adapted into the branding, and I have a feeling that if the season was actually a Frontier League season, you would see more of it, but uh, it was a nice little crowd, maybe 150 people at the ballpark. I know Thursday and Friday nights do a little bit better. Uh, a lot of planes flying aside my house today. I don't know what's going on, but yeah, I had a great, and the food, they have Cincinnati style chili conies. They have the chili dip. Uh, they have Geta sliders, which is this kind of, um, kind of, uh, ooh, what do you call it? It's like the, it's that stuff they have in South Jersey, Scrapple. 
they make that on a bun. They have some great beer selection. So I had a really good time at uh, the Florence Jaws game. I almost bought one of those jerseys in the background, but I have tons of light blue and powder blue shirts that it gets a little redundant. Lexington, you know, I, I want to like Lexington. There's a lot to like about the city, but the ballpark, we talked about some bad locations uh, with our guests. That's not in the best location of a minor league ballpark. It's next to sort of a kind of a rundown strip mall, next to kind of an old motel. It's just, it's shocking that that ballpark was built where it was. Maybe they thought they were going to make the area better or maybe it was cheap land, but the stadium itself is a little, I don't know, I don't want to say bad things about it. It's a little bit kind of dark in certain areas because of the way it was built, uh, whereas Florence is a little more open, more natural lighting. Uh, but still not not a bad place to watch a baseball game. You know, similar type of crowd, about 100 people, 150 people. Free parking tickets for about 10, 12 bucks, I think. So, uh, but Florence definitely was, was a highlight for me because I was really looking forward to seeing the, those baby blue uniforms. But like I said, the Florence Freedom were still playing. So kind of an oddball game and an oddball year, but still probably my last two baseball games of the season. And I'll take what I can get. I am not going to be a not going to be a picky on what I can see this year. Yeah, when I when we went to Lexington, uh, saw the Legends a couple of years ago, and and we were we were there really early, uh, so we popped into like a McDonald's that was like maybe a block from the oh, yeah. park or whatever. And um, my uh, my daughter had put her phone down for a minute, not even a minute, like it well within eye range and reach and and a guy came over to me um just after she picked it up and and he was like yeah you make sure your daughter hangs on to her phone i was like oh okay thanks he's like yeah this this is not a great not a great neighborhood and he owned a a, like a window shop across the road or whatever so uh yeah for whatever reason um not a great area where uh where that ballpark is in Lexington. I mean, Lexington itself is a beautiful little town. Uh, we're not saying Lexington's a bad part. We're just saying that little area, right off the, about a mile away from the interstate. Just, college it's, town, it, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a college town, but uh, it also, it also has a lot of rich neighborhoods. You should see some of the houses out there and the trail system and the, the distillery tours. I mean, distilleries out the wazoo. So there's a lot to do in Lexington and you go to this ballpark and if that's like the first place you go to and the only place, you may have a different opinion about Lexington. Not that Florence isn't anything exciting as well. It's right off the interstate by the Florence Mall, uh, 20 minutes south of Cincinnati with or without traffic. It seems like there's always construction heading north into the city. But Now that's the, that, that's the ballpark as you're driving out of Cincinnati. There's a giant water tower right next to the ballpark, right? Yes. Yes, yeah, okay. that's where they that. get their names from because it says Florence Y'all. Florence Y'all. Florence Y'all. Nice. So, yeah, like you said, Mark, uh, any, any baseball we can pick up this summer is okay yeah. with me. And It's been a light travel year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was able to hit a couple baseball parks up uh, over the last couple of weeks. And I know in our last show I talked about uh, visiting Glens Falls, New York, in one of the worst ballparks I've ever been to, Eastfield. Uh, we went back out two weeks ago. We went back out to New York, back out to the Independent Collegiate uh, Baseball League, which is a pop-up league, but another perfect game ballpark. 
And this one was perfect. Mm -hmm. um, Amsterdam, New York. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we went to Shuttleworth Park in Amsterdam, home of the Amsterdam Monarchs. They've become, over the years, probably the marquee team in the Perfect Game League. They've won nine or ten championships. And this is, uh, I wrote in my review for Stadium Journey, baseball nostalgia at its best. It's on the site. It was built in, the original ballpark there was built in 1914 as part of an amusement park with rides in a midway, and it had a theater, and uh, I forget what else was there, a skating rink or something else, all kinds of different things. The original ballpark burnt down. They rebuilt a couple times. It's just really a picturesque place to catch a game. And it was pretty neat what they did for 2020. Since the state of New York is limiting crowds to about 50 outdoor crowds, um, what they're doing is you can purchase a picnic table, four people, six people, eight people, for $10 a person, and then you get $10 worth of food credit. So we ended up getting a picnic table for four people, had a couple friends join us, and we ate and drank and uh, had a great time. Saw the uh, Glens Falls Independence and the Amsterdam Mohawks play, and a doubleheader. It was a great time. And then last week, we uh, headed up to Nashua again and saw the Nashua Silver Knights host the uh, North Shore Navigators at Holman Stadium. We've talked about Holman Stadium before, so we won't get in it today. Those were my travels over the last couple of weeks. And like you said, Mark, I was glad to have just, just to have some baseball to go to. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm looking at my calendar and I'm thinking, yeesh, there may not be another baseball game that I attend this year unless okay. uh, enough. somebody pops up. February 29th. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I ended up getting to go to four, five, six. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. I got to go to six ballparks this summer, so I can't complain too much. So, speaking of travels, minor segue here. If you or uh, you guys and any of us listening, uh, if you haven't seen this yet, it's probably the coolest thing I've seen since uh, since the pandemic started. So if you haven't seen it yet, go on YouTube or Twitter or wherever and check out the introductions from the Raptors first playoff game against the Nets. Uh, it, you know, I, we, we often talk, like, is there anything new that can be done? And somehow the Raptors found something new. So they got family members to introduce the players. Some of them were great. Some of them not so great. Uh, Kyle Lowry's kids, who he actually, and I just saw this on Twitter. He hasn't seen them in like two months. Kyle Lowry's kids did the best intro. Uh, and if you've ever been to a Raptors game you were, or, or seen the intro, you would know. They did it just like the guy who, who does the actual intro. So uh, definitely a... Twitter or YouTube highlight, so you gotta gotta go check that out. Yeah, it was it was just a lot of fun. I, I actually did see that clip, <laughs> and I bet it meant a lot to the players too. So I guess that's where we're gonna wrap up for tonight. I want to thank everyone who is on our Twitch feed for tuning in and listening, and all of all of you who are catching us a little bit later. Thanks for listening, and we want to thank Dustin Reese again for joining us tonight, Dan. Where can our listeners follow you online? You can follow me online at editing hell at DanLaw83. I apologize <laughs> for that. Damn internet connection. Uh, it was more than that, but. <laughs> Mark, 
any stadium journeys planned for you over the next couple of weeks? Well, where can our listeners follow you? You got me thinking. Louisville still has that new soccer stadium that I haven't visited yet. So they're still playing for the next few months. So maybe, just maybe, I can sneak in there and see. Well, not sneak in there, but actually get into the game legally. Uh, That'd be nice. You can follow me at Ballpark Hunter on Twitter, Instagram, or check out my YouTube channel. New content every Monday and sometimes Thursday. Dave, how about you? Any stadium journeys planned? And where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, no, no stadium journeys planned, although uh, we will be heading to Cottage Country because we just, uh, we just closed on a new place. So that's pretty exciting. So uh, follow me on Twitter at Profan9. Uh, the literary journey continues. I uh, just finished... Um, just finished a book on the Toronto Argonauts from the uh, from the early '80s called "Bouncing Back." That was that was excellent. Uh, moment of silence for the CFL canceling its season. The first time in a hundred years that the Grey Cup will not be presented. Wow. 1919. It's been presented every year since. So uh, that's that's a that's a bit of a, a sad one. And uh, picked up uh, started another one. Paul, you would totally like this one. It's called Hockey Card Stories. It's by a guy by the name of Ken Reed, who uh, is on Sportsnet up here. Uh, basically, what he does is he goes through his, his hockey card collection and highlights these cool, what he thinks are these cool cards. And most of them are from the 70s. A little bit before my hockey knowledge, a lot of guys I hadn't heard of, and he, you know, he interviews them. So... Um, so look for that. That book review will end up on the on Stadium Journey soon enough. Uh, Profan9 at Twitter. Nice. I was doing that. I was looking through some of my autographed cards, and I was shocked to find out that I have an autographed Madison Bumgartner card from the Norwich Navigators, or the Connecticut Defenders, I mean. Wow. Yeah, I was That's a shocked surprise. to see that. Nice surprise. So, uh, Mark, I was doing a couple days ago, I was doing what you were just doing. I was looking through all the schedules. Are there any ballparks? Close enough to me that I can get. And I think I've got one more ball, baseball game in me this summer. Do tell. Um, within the next couple of weeks, there's a pop-up league, independent league, professional players, called the All-American Baseball Challenge. They're playing out of Palisades Credit Union Park, okay. in Rockland, where the Rockland Boulders play. Oh, yeah. They also play in uh, Yogi Berra Stadium. And Somerset. Yeah, yep, and in true. Somerset. So yeah. uh, we may end up going out to Rockland to catch a game there in a couple of weeks. And uh, you can follow my stadium journeys on Twitter or Instagram at PuckmanRI. So remember, until next time, check out our website, stadiumjourney.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on YouTube at Stadium Journey. You can find the Stadium Journey podcast at vocnation.com. Use your podcast aggregator wherever you find your podcast. Search, search uh, Stadium Journey Podcast. You'll find us. Check out our video simulcast if you'd rather watch your podcast on our YouTube page. And again, we simulcast all our episodes live on Twitch TV, twitch.tv slash DanLaw83. So thanks again to Dustin Reese for joining us tonight. For Dan Calachico, Mark Viquez, and Dave Cotney, I'm Paul Baker. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other.
This is the Slickster, the Doctor of Style, and you're listening to VOC Nation. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Wrestling. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. On Wrestling With Problems, we deal with two things, wrestling and problems. On the wrestling side, we cover the major feds as well as the indies. As far as problems go, we cover our problems, American problems, and world problems. Sometimes the problems are even related to wrestling. Every week, comedian King David Lane and wrestler, promoter, Chris Best discuss the best and especially the worst in the world of wrestling with a heaping dose of comedy. Check us out live on VLCNation.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.